this was a world where no human could live. Hotter than the planet Mercury, its atmosphere as poisonous as Saturn's. At the heart of the fire, air temperatures easily exceeded 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Lethal clouds of carbon monoxide and other gases swirled through the rock chambers. That is David de Kock in his book Unseen Danger, a tragedy of people, government, and the Centralia mine fire. That is a little teaser of what we're going to be getting into, but before that, Paul, you've joined us once again. Hello, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fitting to have you back because I think of us, the three of us, as uh, as Ronan, mm. samurais what? wandering uh. the podcasting plains without masters, bending to no one. Together at last, the three of us. <laughs> I don't know what the point of that was. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the, uh, That's okay. <laughs> so, Paul, we all felt the magic that you brought, and uh, we want it back. So yeah. you're back. Applications actually, submitted and approved. <laughs> before we uh, actually get like, into I it, have any say in that shit. You have no say. You have you zero uh, percent <laughs> shareholder. Dan, you're just here for the ride. <laughs> I'm now number three. Yeah, that's right. Oh. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to change it on the masthead on all of the uh, <laughs> on, on the podcast. Uh-huh. Kane Smith yes. and Paul. We- <laughs> we're going to have to beat <laughs> it again. Did you hear that? That I beeped it last time. I don't know if you even listened to the episode, but I no, I, used I started to listen it, to all of them, but not that one. It's no point. It's the same conversation we had. <laughs> We're here anyways, yeah. man. Um, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. I've had, I've, okay. I've done it every time. Um, before we actually get into it, I do. I was thinking about something today, and I want to. I want to open with something unrelated. Maybe take a prediction from each of you on what some long-standing effects are going to be of once this uh once this covid business ends what is maybe something that's going to stick around from this that you might not think of because i was thinking about i'll start with mine there's so many people and uh like things that are happening just like people at home on zoom like i've noticed that a lot with a lot of podcasts i listen to and stuff like that and i feel like that might stick around a little bit like um people doing things from home people a lot of people kind of realize that that can work i think so i know that's kind of broad expanding it to people can work a lot from home and do things from home but i think that's going to stick i think you're right on i agree um talking from the military they've already mentioned that they were going to go into these same kind of measures up until june of 2021 oh, oh my god no matter what so, so what kind of measures do you mean? So, um, like the basically the social distancing and the face mask stuff, like it's it's a little odd, um, especially because you know I'm in Montana, so mm-hmm. there's not many cases up here. One, two, it's the mo- like next to Wyoming and Alaska, you know, least dense states. I, at first, I thought you meant there were only two cases in Montana, which would have been nice. Oh, that'd be crazy. No, <laughs> no, but like that's another thing too. Like I think they get the facts wrong too. Is like our county has had sixteen, but like nine or ten have recovered, mm-hmm. and then we did have a couple people that did uh, die from Jeez. it. So oh, there's less than there's like five or less than that have actually have coronavirus. So yeah, 
But Dan, you're you're the most city dwelling. How how is uh, yeah? How's it working on your end? Um, People are dying in the streets, just, just <laughs> left and right. Over. Yeah. <laughs> Bodies are lined with corpses. I mean, it's not New York here, but to that end, I was actually on a Zoom call today with like half a dozen people who live in New York City, and each of them knew somebody within like a very small circle of friends or family who fucking died from coronavirus. Jeez. Yeah, it's really bad there. Um, But as far as I can speak to, in my field, education is going to change big time. Um, You know, as a teacher, I'm like exploring. I like there's there's all this sort of like tech out there that like I had no idea about that can even change like what I do and how I do it in the classroom. And, uh, and not to mention like how schools involve families in the community. I think the technology that we're using right now just to get by is going to stick around in those capacities. Interesting. It will be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, kind of force the hand. Right. Exactly. Good predictions, boys. Love it. That's why you bring us on. Okay. So, Back to the meat. The oh yeah, what was that quote again? <laughs> do you what, do you want me to read it again? <laughs> it might it might might be worth it. <laughs> Should I pay attention, please? Okay, <laughs> but I'll probably cut the first one if we do it. No, that. no. <laughs> so this is you said cent- Centralia, is that right? Yeah, Dan? I think so. Okay, Dan lives in Pennsylvania, so I trust him on this. Uh, this is a small coal mining town that, as I'm sure you inferred from the quote, met with a pretty nasty fate. This is about 85 miles northwest of Philadelphia proper. The population peaked at about 2,000 in the 19th century, late 19th century. By 1980, it was about 1,000. Coal mining had slowed down. And in 2017 census five people <laughs> how'd they get there we're gonna start way back obviously native americans initially inhabited the land but in 1749 the land was purchased from them for 500 great british pounds which is the u.s dollar modern day equivalent of one hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars. whoa um the land was pretty much just sat on uh from that point forward until 1793 when revolutionary war hero Robert Morris uh, bought all the land but five years later declared bankruptcy and the land was then purchased by French sea captain Stephen Girard (laughs) because he heard there was anthracite coal in the region (laughs) I mean if you if you want to be one-upped in terms of just using another language that we should not be using I was filling out an application earlier for a job with the Census Bureau because what the hell else am I going to do? Um, well, you're filling out a what? A jo- an application. Oh. For for a job with the Census Bureau. Interesting. Oh, is that just like temp work? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but they pay like 20 to $30 an hour. Excellent. <laughs> like oh, wow. that's that's what I get right now. <laughs> just to go around and ask people questions? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe I just Maybe. file data. Um, 
But anyways, they asked if I spoke another language, and I was really tempted to put French on there. <laughs> no. Je suis enchanté. <laughs> Je m'appelle Dan. <laughs> Gem apple. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. <laughs> the coal deposits, the anthracite coal in the region, nobody really touched it for about half a century. 1856 and 1863 is when it really kicks off. Between that stretch of time, five separate coal mines opened in Centralia. And by 1866, it was actually incorporated as a borough. Now, Dan, do you have any idea what that means? You're an East Incorporated as what, a borough? What is a borough? Uh, it's just, it's the same, like, I know, level I know, of like, municipality. New York City, they've got those. Oh. Is it the same thing? No, it's just like saying a town or a hamlet or a yeah, village. Yeah, there's so many. Like, a hamlet? They're all the same. Like, if you go to Louisiana, it's called a parish. Right. It's That's the same thing. Still. It's just It's just a single unit of municipality. Okay. Where does it fall in the size, though? Because, um, like, a city's bigger than a town. Like, where is it on the size scale? No, honestly, that... that difference doesn't mean jack it's not really in relation to population hmm. um it's just oh, whatever true. you want to call it true because it was definitely oh no it might have been the town of jackson hole yeah never mind i'm stupid um it's yeah, all a I guess, wash but that's i the feel story. like i feel like it's pretty even if there's not a like legal it's generally agreed town is small city is big and i feel like that's all you need right yeah do we really need all these villages looking at you paul and uh towns or no keep the towns no boroughs hamlets no more villages parishes parishes after all these mines are up and churning something something happens that there's a little bit of foreshadowing for the fate of the town. There is a, an Irish-American secret society called the Molly Maguires that had a presence in the eastern United States as well as Liverpool and Ireland. And uh, they were mostly focused on activism for coal miners and other, uh, like, you know, blue-collar menial trades that Irish-Americans often found themselves in. Uh, they got violent often, started a lot of riots, at one time even killing the Centralia founder and mayor, Alexander Ray. Three men eventually convicted for this and were hanged in the county seat of Bloomsburg on March 25th, 1878. But there's a legend among the locals of Centralia that tells of a one Father Daniel Ignatius McDermott, the first Roman Catholic priest to call Centralia home, cursed the land in retaliation for being assaulted by three members of the Maguires in 1869. McDermott said that there would be a day when St. Ignatius Roman Catholic Church would be the only structure remaining in Centralia. What? Whoa. That is pretty specific. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So 1890 is, I would say, the peak of this town. And... The federal census, they've got a population of 2,761. At its peak, the town had seven churches, five hotels, 27 saloons, two theaters, a bank, a post office, and 14 general and grocery stores. Now, it is a mining town, but 27 saloons sounds like a lot for a town of 2,700 people. That's 
That's one for every ten people. Well, that's and the not five true, hotels. One for every uh, hundred people. Yeah. And the five hotels make it seem like people are coming here to visit. Yeah. Like it's a tourist town almost, but I doubt that. I guess. No way. I bet it was like I bet hotels back then were like four rooms. You know. Do, oh, I yeah. Guess, that's a good point. Know. But that's do, true. Yeah, so it'd be like somebody coming into town, getting a job, and I need a place to stay for a week or two before yeah. I find my own place. It's five bed and breakfasts. That's what they had. <laughs> I was my and question 20... was going to be like, does coal mining have like seasonal workers? Uh, no, right? Because I believe it's year round. Yeah, right. That that makes sense. Because it's all underground, so the air temperature you know, doesn't. The elements too much. aren't really. It's going to be hot as shit down there here. anyway. If anything, the winter's probably better. Yeah. And the 27 saloons, I imagine, you know, it's pretty just broad, you know. Somebody's living room. Like a restaurant. Exactly. You know, someone's restaurant is is a saloon, technically. (laughs) Um, Okay, listen. uh, I I have to step out of the room real quick, but I'll be back in like like two minutes, okay? You can keep going, but I just... Wanted to give you a heads up. And that's that you why might you're number to... three, Dan. Yeah, that's that's why you're number three. <laughs> that's how Paul pinch. usurped the second the second night. <laughs> yes. If you keep any of this in, Kane, I'll kill you. Oh, is that a threat to the oh, one wow. man who does the editing on this? <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, I guess we need to find a replacement. Let's let's third. see if we can just finish this whole thing while he's gone. All right, let's do it. Uh, so okay. <laughs> now, right after 1890, I mean, pretty pretty shortly after the peak of this town is when it starts to decline and part of that is ww1 a lot of the coal miners are young bucks who uh, have you heard of it (laughs) the war to end all wars they're calling it the town uh all the young bucks they're leaving to fight and then not too long i guess like just what 11 years after that ends we got uh oh man Really wish Dan didn't leave because I was counting on him to tell me what maybe you know. What was it? Black Friday? No, not Black Friday. Black Tuesday? Black Monday? Do you know? The it was Monday. I guess we'll you just have to go with the stock that. market. Yeah, the stock market crash. Yeah, subsequently the crash of 1929 uh, basically ruined the Lehigh Valley Mining Corporation. Not not completely. They didn't they didn't shutter their doors, but they ended up closing five of their mines in Centralia, which is probably pretty good amount of the actual mining done around that time these uh, abandoned mines though were what is called bootleg mined amateur prospectors and perhaps homeless folk would uh would come in and they would mine from the pillars of coal that were holding up the mine which already bad idea and it caused a lot of collapses which ended up actually having kind of an effect on how easily they were able to extinguish the fire that ends up starting but uh, we're about 40 years off from that Uh, in 1950 the Centralia Council acquired all of the mineral rights to the coal underneath the town by means of a state law that had passed the previous year I don't exactly know what and I don't exactly know why um, they weren't allowed to own the mineral rights maybe that was something that up to that point was pretty much exclusively privately held which i would believe because that was kind of the whole american thing for a while right mm-hmm. was 
the land is yours, but... Yeah, what are we in, like, mid-1800s right now? We are in 1950. Oh, Christ. We were in 1890 before you left. Ah, why did you have to go so fast? I feel Um, so bad. Dan, 1929 stock market crash. Black Monday? What? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> um, no one knows yeah. let it be a mystery could easily be googled but we won't do it the, that's not the kind of podcast we are right um, yeah we uh, I mean I'm going to be pretty pretty upfront about this this is basically us regurgitating Wikipedia articles to you so that you don't have to read them <laughs> that's a good way to sell this thing though I, I mean yeah it's what it's on it is. The go. That's pretty much it's what it's been. It's Wikipedia on the go. We should on it, like when we run out of ideas for episodes, we should just hit the random article button on Wikipedia. <laughs> All right. How quickly we can get to uh, Adolf Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> That's when we end the podcast. <laughs> do, the, do the one on Hitler, we and then we're that? done. Yep. So, uh, despite all these uh, these setbacks, problems, mine closures, etc., mining continued until the 1960s. Bootleg mining continued well into the 80s, which when you hear what's going on in the 60s and 70s might surprise you a little bit. And uh, strip and open pit mining still occurs today in the area, which also confuses me a little bit. Seems like that would just be a kind of uh, no man's land, given the circumstances, but what do you think? What do you mean? Well, I mean, if there's... Obviously, you're not going too deep if you're pit mining, but like... Do you really want to be mining near a still burning fire underground? What? To to uh, my knowledge. To mine knowledge. Oh. Uh, coal is situated like sort of in veins. Right. So I I don't believe there's some sort of like central chunk of coal underneath you know a chunk of the state of pennsylvania i think it'd be like you dig down here and then it's like this little skinny sort of right pillar of coal but if you're strip mining they're just like tearing away land so like you could just break into like a cavern couldn't you in theory but i guess you'd know where they yeah, are you probably right. won't mind where they are yeah i guess i wonder what they use to like detect where coal is if we have some sort of like technology where it's like I don't know. So no. We, we I almost feel like they didn't. They didn't have to back, like especially back then. Pennsylvania and like West Virginia, all those states in a little area, they're just so abundant of oh, coal. Oh right, sure. I mean, but we throw a rock, you probably could hit a mine. Like like nowadays, I think nowadays in yeah. middle school, somebody in my class did a report on like like satellites finding oil. So wow, I'm sure they can do something with coal. Yeah. Probably like a sonar Some type thing. Big or metal detector. What is it called? Big like giant LADAR metal detector. Or something. Yeah. Did you say LIDAR? LIDAR. 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 The laser one? Oh, what you're talking shit, about? Yeah. Man. I, think, I think you can use that somehow, I thought. Cool. That technology is freaky. we got to set stage a little bit for how this fire started. Because, for one, they're not 100% sure. But any reasonable person would think that what transpired, what we're about to tell you, is what caused the fire. There's a few other theories. I'm not even going to mention them because a lot of them have little evidence and oftentimes um, counter evidence, I guess. 
The story of the fire starts in about 1962. Now, just a year or so before this, the state of Pennsylvania had made Centralia, or maybe the county above it, close down the landfill that they had. So there had just been a bunch of illegal dumping. There were kind of eight prominent dumping sites around the area. And the city council was trying to do away with that. So they they proposed a new landfill. And what they decided on was a 50-foot-deep strip mine nearby that had been <laughs> cleared out and abandoned since 1935. Oh, yeah. Love it. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure you can guess there's some problems that can arise when you bury trash in a mine. And the state of Pennsylvania thought of this. So in 1956, they passed a law requiring mines turned into landfills to be regularly inspected, and you had to have a permit to actually operate one. How how are you supposed to inspect that? Excellent question. But uh, (laughs) a gentleman named George Segaritis made a living doing it. So... Obviously, there's some something to it. So, in May of 1962, George Segaritis, landfill inspector, is performing his first check on the newly proposed landfill, which had opened earlier in that year. Now, he notices some holes in the walls of the landfill, and this concerns him because those mines cut through, uh, the strip mines kind of cut into much like I talked about, older underground mines. So he informs the Centralia Council that the landfill will need to be cleared out and filled with an incombustible material. There's some discussion about how they're going to clear out the trash to put the incombustible material in. And what they decide on is to burn the trash. (laughs) (laughs) So already you can see a problem and maybe where this is heading. Hey, let's put something that won't explode or start on fire by burning all the stuff that's in there already. <laughs> that, that would burn or set <laughs> Interest, on fire. It, interesting. Very interesting. So on May 27th, 1962, the Volunteer Firefighters Department was tasked with starting the burn. Probably the most responsible group to do it, but it doesn't matter. That night, visible flames were doused with water. Two days later, the flames returned. This time they use fire hoses. I don't know if, what they were using before. Maybe buckets. Who knows? <laughs> and a week later, on June the 4th, the flames returned once again. So, obviously, they realize there's a problem. And conventional firefighting, probably not going to cut it. So they bring in a bulldozer to stir up the trash, maybe find hidden layers that are still on fire that they didn't know about that they can douse. Sounds like they were just trying to use a giant... Um... What is that? Like you have like a stoker that you poke yeah. the fire with to get yeah. more oxygen oh, yeah. in there. <laughs> so when they just yeah, <laughs> when they push all this around, uh, they unearth a previously undiscovered hole that they hadn't uh, noticed and were unable to cover with the incombustible material. And this is exactly why. Just burning the trash is such a bad idea, because obviously it seems like they were able to get incombustible material into, like, a lot of the stuff, but they missed a lot of it. So, why would... Why? Doesn't matter. <laughs> so they discover a hole in the... I guess you call it the floor of the landfill. 
15 feet in diameter that is uh, kind of plugged with trash. But it was a hole straight into a mine, and this is believed to be the source of the fire. So, so a cycle- there's this, like, sorry, there's, like, no, this 15-foot diameter hole of just burning trash? I don't think the, I don't think all of it was, like, burning, but embers or something was able to sure, okay. get down into And you know what? I'm sure, like, there's probably a ton of carbon monoxide palling around in the cave so around. combustion is pretty easy stuff I want to know how they got all the trash and just every little corner well they you didn't know, there's this random hole they didn't know yeah. about and just kind of floated around like yeah clearly a half ass job I don't think they were too worried about it well they were volunteer start. firefighters so they probably weren't too stoked about having to clear out a <laughs> landfill wow I forgot how much you hate volunteer firefighters. What? Oh, <laughs> is this because is this I said I was a first responder the other day? <laughs> is this payback for that? Oh, no, but thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> oh, so, so I got more coming at me. <laughs> you just yeah, led just you into wait. saying that yourself. Yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, so my own poison. So a cycle of putting out the fires over and over again starts, and despite... The smell of burning trash and coal reaching even the town. Churchgoers were complaining about it. The city still allowed trash to be dumped in the burning landfill. What? Obviously, they didn't think it was a big enough problem yet. So during the day, you have Joe Schmo and his pickup truck dumping, you know, the old shitty living room couch into a burning quarry and then you know start about 6 six thirty in the evening you have the volunteer firefighters show up for their second shift to start dousing the flames right yeah beautiful okay god love the state of Pennsylvania yes yeah, Pennsylvania brains at work <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a member of the Centralia Council I'm assuming it always refers to it as the Centralia Council, but I'm assuming that's like the city council, or in this case, the borough council. <laughs> a council member contacts the borough kings. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Clarence Mooch Kashner, who is the <laughs> the head of the miners' union. I, I he's also the head of like four other unions, but I only included the miners uh, to inspect the situation. And Mooch reaches out to Gordon Smith, an engineer at the Pennsylvania Department of Mines and Mineral Industries. And a small admission, it took me writing that out earlier to realize that the word mine and the word mineral are the same root. Never occurred to me uh, before then. So they just had just two words that mean the same thing in the agency title? Well... Uh, yeah, you got to mine to get minerals, Dan. Well, I guess like they are specific. It'd be in like we're the bureau mines. of we're the bureau of guns and gunpowder. Um, <laughs> no, I feel like it's more <laughs> like quite. the Department of Guns and Gun Ranges. There you like, go. <laughs> it's like mines, the it's... locations themselves, and then Mineral Industries. They also would regulate <laughs> the businesses that operate the mines. Stop making sense out of something I am trying to find Blah. humor in. <laughs> uh, nice sound effect. Thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I, had to, I had to replace the soundboard with my mouth since I got this audio <laughs> interface. 
still got it. Uh, so, <laughs> Gordon Smith. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> uh, so, he, this Gordon Smith fella, he brings some testing equipment and finds twirling wisps of smoke rising up from the landfill, which are testing positive for carbon monoxide levels often found in coal mine fires. So they know now that there is a problem, a real big problem. Centralia, now the city, uh, city council, they send a letter to the Lehigh Valley Coal Company, which, if you'll recall, uh, operated many of the mines in the area, and they send a letter informing them of the fire, but they intentionally lie and say that they do not know how the fire started. It's more of like a, just so you guys know, your mine is on fire. And uh, <laughs> kind of kind of putting the onus on them. Uh, Dan, I'm going to need your help pronouncing this one. The, what is that, Susquehanna? How do you yes, say that? Susquehanna. Cool. Shit, yeah. <laughs> so the Lehigh Valley Coal Company and the Susquehanna Coal Company arrange a meeting with the city where it is revealed to the city that neither company is very solvent and neither of them have the money to take care of this problem. And they kind of just hope that the state will pay for it. Now, thankfully, the state agrees. And on August 17th, bids open up for who's going who's gonna to solve this thing. Uh, two days later, contract is awarded to a company called Bridie Incorporated. They are uh, paid the modern equivalent of $165,000. Work begins on the 22nd of August. So Bridie Incorporated takes on this soon-to-be monumental task, but they have some restrictions placed on them by the state. There was fears that um, the company, Bridie Inc., was going to use this opportunity to do a bunch of exploratory mining as well and uh, find out where some coal is that they could maybe snatch up. They were very worried about that. So Why? they were not allowed to do any drilling attempts to find where the fire ended or anything, to find the perimeter of the fire. They were basically just told, our engineers, uh, the LVCC engineers are going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it. And the engineers did not think the fire was very big or active. And... Um, as I'm sure you can guess, the attempt did not go well. Uh, in fact, their <laughs> attempt to stop it greatly worsened the fire because the drilling they did in when they breached the mine brought a lot of oxygen in and fed the fire. And um, on top of that, the state only allowed the work to be done on weekdays, and they could only do it eight hours a day. <laughs> they could only do one shift, eight-hour shift a day, only on weekdays. And uh, so that just didn't work. And eventually they ran out of money and called it quits. So 459 hits on a Friday. They Quitting see a time. giant yeah, they see yeah. a giant mushroom cloud of flame and they're like, ah, first rounds on me. Yeah, just the Chernobyl <laughs> effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Monday morning will we'll come around. <laughs> yeah. This might be a good time to mention for you super fans out there. Um, previously, that was Paul. 
and now uh, <laughs> now he's part Hello. of the show. So we'll see where it'll get you. Uh, yeah, uh, Maybe you can as well. <laughs> whole whole lot of parallels between this whole story and the Love Canal disaster. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, funnily enough, didn't they occur around pretty much the same time? Wasn't the Love Canal in the seventies and um. Yeah, bad decade for the <laughs> bad time yeah, to dude. be living in the. It's like people started paying more attention, and people started giving less of a shit when five o'clock hit on Friday yeah. night. Hell yeah, the the ball rolls pretty slow after that because I I guess there wasn't a ton of info on how long that attempt actually took, but then October of that year, because that started work began in August on that first project, August twenty second. And then uh, October of that year, they think maybe a second idea. We're going to try something different. And they put out a second bid, company by the name of K&H Excavating. Picks it up. Dan, what's troubling you? You know, if the first company we hire to do the job can't do it, Uh let's just hire a second company. (laughs) Let's go to the second lowest bidder. So, I know another guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, this plan was they were going to grind up a bunch of rock and mix it with water and just pump it into the mines. Didn't work great either. The city actually had a pretty remarkably cold winter that year, which ended <laughs> up freezing the water supply lines and the rock grinding machines themselves, basically bringing the whole thing to a screeching halt. The project also ran low on funding and was not able to fully fill the holes they had dug in the first place. And uh, the only partial filling of the holes also provided uh, an escape route for the fire. On March 15th, 1963, this second project stops operation. Speak your truth, Dan. <laughs> Seen a lot of hand signals yeah. here. Um, so plan one, just fire just 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 open up as much pathways and access to oxygen to the fire yep. as we can yeah, I was say, same thing <laughs> but just add more oxygen yeah. yep option number two is a good idea and then it doesn't happen and so let's just leave it alone yeah with all this access to oxygen so after the winter um april steam is rising from the ground indicating that the fire had spread 700 feet east of where it initially was. And how big is the town? Uh, I don't know. Like area? No, people. Oh, at this point? Time? Probably like 1,400 would be my guess. Less than 2,000? And you said 700 feet? Yes. That's a lot of people. Yes. I mean, depending on where the fire is, but yeah. That's true. It has the potential to affect a lot of people. Now, a third plan was discussed, but it wouldn't be able to start until the next fiscal year. So <laughs> they just decided to do nothing. And so that is 1963 is the end of the second project. And, of course, some people know about the fire, but the much of the town doesn't really know or doesn't realize how bad of a problem it is until uh, 1979. So, what, 16 years? This fire was just burning, and they weren't doing a thing about it. 
Yeah, how far do you think it could have spread in that time? Quite a ways. The um, the story broke when a gas station owner, who, funnily enough, was also the mayor, which means this mayor did not even know about how serious it was. Um, I bet at that point it was entirely like the Lehigh Valley Corporation and the Susquehanna were kind of just not telling anybody anything oh, of course no oh yeah i bet that's what ended up happening they're just running away at that point yeah and the city had basically already passed the buck onto them and just been like hmm, your mind's on fire which is <laughs> so, funny because wasn't it didn't they sign the bill that they own everything yeah. below the mine or below the town <laughs> yes so it's like mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah hmm. Operate, so but don't hmm. own interesting anyway this uh this gas station owner operator mayor Ends up, he's checking the levels on his his tanks, like the tanks that are underneath a gas station. And he puts his dipstick in there, pulls it out. Man, that's hot. So he lowers a the thermometer down there and found that the gasoline in the tank was 172 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> that is scary because, like, at what point, how, how hot, how long do you think it would take for it to get hot enough to just explode, which is the worst way to find out. Hold on, I'm finding out. Uh, might have to get pretty hot. 495 so degrees. I was going to say, remember, car engines, so. Yeah. It has to maintain heat. Still, it's in the direction that you don't want it to go. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. If I was like, if I was sitting on top of that tank and I'm like, oh my God, this is, because it's underground, so what do you think it is normally like? 60 yeah. degrees Fahrenheit, the gasoline And that's only as far as, oh, yeah. far as his thermometer could reach. Yeah. What kind of thermometer do you have there, buddy? Statewide attention uh, is brought to the fire, probably also nationwide attention to some level, in 1981, when a 12-year-old boy named Todd Domboski falls into a four-foot-wide sinkhole that opened up right beneath him, and he had to <laughs> cling to a tree root until his 14-year-old cousin could pull him up. And the steam that was rising out of that sinkhole contained lethal levels of carbon monoxide. Oh, no. By 1984, it becomes clear that this is not a problem that can be stopped. And the U.S. Congress ends up issuing $42 million to pay to relocate the residents. Most of them leave, but not all of them. Some of these people, what do you think it is, pride? Just hometown pride, like my grandfather mined here, my yep. dad mined here. Uh, some of these people just, which is the, just the dumbest, and it's probably an American way of thinking. That I this can't like, empathize at all. I can't. If there, I can't put myself in that the person's shoes. Called being stuck. If I found out that like there was a fire raging underneath me that had been going for decades, and a, my neighbor almost fell into an open fire pit. (laughs) I would not stick around, especially gas. Carbon monoxide is just pouring out of the ground. So 1992, they're starting to get a little sick of these people sticking around. (laughs) And Pennsylvania governor Bob Casey invokes eminent domain. Uh, Mm. Ooh, you know what? Might be good to include what that is. So I'm going to, I'm going to get a little definition real quick. Hot topic. In yeah. the meantime, fun fact, 
Bob Casey's son, Bob Casey Jr., is now one of Pennsylvania's senators. Wow. Yeah. Look at wow. that nepotism. <laughs> it's not nepotism, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's name recognition. <laughs> yeah. So, eminent domain is the right of a government or its agent to expropriate private property for public use with the payment of compensation. So basically, they can take your land so long as they compensate you for it. And that is a big problem, I know, especially around here. I don't know if you guys remember the... Uh, oh, yeah. The tr- a bunch of tractor trailers parked right outside <laughs> of city limits saying stop yes, evident sir. domain abuse. Yeah. Those farmers. That's a great introduction. And uh, so this, uh, this Bob Casey fellow, senior... Uh, invokes eminent domain on all properties in the borough and condemns all of the properties. Uh, the residents are a little upset about this. They try and fail to appeal that. And then in 2002, real nail in the coffin for the city of Centralia, the USPS revokes its postal code, which I guess is pretty much permanent federal designation that that's no longer a city. And... Uh, Still going, 2009, new governor, Ed Rendell, begins the formal eviction process, but uh, they are not budging. They refuse to leave. It takes f- four years to come up with an agreement. October 29th, 2013 is when a settlement is finally reached with the whopping seven remaining residents of Centralia who are allowed to stay until they move or die at which point their property and mineral rights will be forfeited to the Pennsylvania government. Wait, they have that's mineral just... rights? That's what it said. I guess um, maybe they just said that to make it sound more angry. Because they're citizens of... Cin- well, Centralia's not a city anymore, so... Oh, so the city doesn't have rights to you the know, minerals anymore. I was going to say... Bingo. As a citizen, you would technically have rights to the minerals, See, but... Paul's still got it. Paul's still got it. <laughs> Still here. <laughs> Bringing the heat. Gunning for that second chair. He's got it. Damn it. Oh. Now that is that is the end of the story. So what do we take from That's that? That's stubborn. That's pretty stubborn. Yeah. Those seven people. You're like, yeah, I'm in basically a fiery hell. Yeah, I'm living uh, above hell. But, and the government is willing to pay me to leave. <laughs> Probably. But I just don't want to. Because think about it. If there were forty-two million, yeah, forty-two million for like a thousand people. They probably gave them half a million bucks. God damn. Yeah, I mean, you got to think if you own property, though, you can't sell that property anymore. So you need money to buy new pop property. Yeah. Um, right, but they should. There's a fire burning under them. They should be thankful that the government is even giving them money. It's a good point. Oh, I would expect something. Yeah, you what is five hundred thousand dollars not good enough? Oh no, no, that's plenty. Oh, that's <laughs> that's very good, very 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 good. But uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess like to, you, to your. But like my my the city of Centralia really screwed me over, where I'm a saloon owner. Yeah, and like they got so greedy and so dumb with the way they handled this fire. I would hope that you know, if not the state of Pennsylvania, the federal government gave me some good cash to get out of there. Mm-hmm. That should be expected. Yeah, it's a good point that, like, land value might be higher than... Yeah, and... Just oh, especially the with value the of rights. the dirt. Yeah. Um, but, I guess consider also, it didn't say, but 
the uh, state legislature might have also thrown some money, thrown some bucks. But I guess why would you if if, uh, Congress already is? What do you think, Dan? (sighs) I don't know, man. I think we should have just left it alone and seen what happened to him. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get... Explodes. That's how you get... No, here's... Let me amend that statement. Um, I think by the, like, after ample amount of time, an ample amount of time after the initial money offer, I think they should have just been like, you know what, you're not a town anymore. We will, we will still, you know, send the state troopers out for like a, you know, a DV call here and there. But other than that, you're on your own. Wipe their hands of it. I mean, they could have easily also just removed those people. True. Because eminent domain, they no longer own any property. And, you know, the federal government can easily be like, this is restricted area due to inherent risk and like you said state troopers can go patrol and whatnot and if they find anyone apprehend them and just escort them from yeah and it's not like it's not like they needed like the land for anything they're the government is abandoning this land so it's like are they gonna risk another waco the, the national guard yeah another waco or national guard lives if like a sinkhole opened up if they sent you know i guess they'd probably send like the exactly. sheriff, but either way. Oh, poor guy. Well, exactly that, though. Like, you know, if these people, you know, they've got nothing, no reason to be there anymore. They're not mining. They're not selling goods. You know, they're not doing anything. They're just squatting, living there. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I have something I'm going to say, but I have to uh, let my cat out and go to the bathroom. So I'll be right back. I have to go in four minutes. Okay, um, so if we had just left them, you know what would have happened, Dan? Paul, why don't what? you tell us what movie you watched today? Ooh. So, my research today consists of watching the movie Silent Hill. Now, if you've played the games, this means nothing. But if you've seen the movie, the town of Centrali was actually used as the basis for the town of Silent Hill in the movie. Uh, the difference being, Paul, between the movie Silent Hill and actual pennsylvania uh one it's based in west virginia oh sure in the silent hill and two like it barely mentions anything about the mine or the people the people really you know anything about the mine it was really more just about yeah what's the big thing what's the big difference between centralia and silent hill uh Demons killing demons, people, yes. witches, demons walking, crazy church people, yeah, uh, executing and burning people alive. <laughs> How about oh that? So, uh, <laughs> I don't think that happened in Centralia, but you know, I wasn't there, so yeah. I'll tell you, Paul. I watched that movie. Actually, you know what, Dan? We're gonna let this go, and if you need to go, we'll just we'll finish this without you. I'll just send you my audio. Yes. Yeah, yes. that works. I just um, got to help my mom with some tech stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. Paul, I watched that movie for the very first time in middle school, and it really had an effect on me. Because, one, that's the mm. first time I heard a tornado siren. And that's I've been obsessed oh, really? with tornado sirens since then. Oh. Um, 
two, that scene where Pyramid Head rips that woman's skin off whole, that yes. like kept me up for probably weeks, dude. I was thinking about well, that scene. And my thing too with that is that was fairly early in the movie. I was expecting crazy, more crazy stuff to happen. It's pretty, it's pretty tame after that until that woman gets barbed wire up the vagine and ripped in half. Yeah, that way. That's pretty. Uh, yeah, pretty graphic. That's pretty tough. Uh, how about those? How about those sexy undead nurses though, <laughs> with the choreographed dance? That was cool. I was gonna say, yeah, very uh, revealing. Uh, wow, I guess you're not missing anything, Dan, because that's uh, that's gonna do it for us this week. I think. Oh, Dan already stopped recording. Fuck, wow. I'm gonna sound like such an idiot. He's given up on the. <laughs> There's podcast. nobody responding to me. Uh well. <laughs> If that's not a sign, I don't know what is. Paul, you got anything else before we uh, send this one out to the airways? No, I think that's about it. Which I, by the way, I have uh, purchased and installed a 500 megawatt AM radio uh, transmitter, and I will be playing these episodes on repeat 24 hours a day at uh, wow. 1500 AM. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what is the five three? Wait, God. Dan, stop interacting. You're not even recording. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit end on this recording, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>